Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, we got a quiet crowd today. <laughs> yeah, I know winter's here. That that snow's falling, and it's only November, right? We're we're not quite ready for it. We're not quite prepared for it. But uh, here we are, and uh, fortunately, we're not getting hit as hard as Buffalo, New York, right? Five, six feet of snow they had. So, anyhow. Count your blessings, even though you may not be a big snow fan, right, Brent? That's right. Martin St. Louis. I'm not sure if you know that name, but Martin is, is, was a small man in a big world of NHL hockey. In the throughout the '90s, the early 2000s. Um, the basic guideline in NHL hockey, if you weren't six foot and 200 pounds plus, you did not have much of a chance to play as an NHL player. And here was Martin St. Louis at five foot eight. Native of Laval, Quebec, he uh, had an opportunity to play at Vermont Univers- University of Vermont down in the States. And in four years he was there, he racked up over 250 points. And they only play about 40 games a year, if that. Having put up that many points, you know, the NHL, because of his size, they passed over him. Anybody bigger, NHL teams would have been all over a college player like that. But back then there was kind of two main development leagues. One was called the American Hockey League, which was where the majority of the NHL farm teams were. And then there was the IHL, the International Hockey League, which was typically an older league where kind of um, guys who had tried to go to the NHL or maybe spent a couple years, guys had been in the American Hockey League, hadn't got a break, they kind of went to the IHL. The IHL was kind of high-end, semi-pro, but typically more general rules, these guys, for the most part, weren't going to the NHL. But Cleveland, in the IHL, they decided to sign and give Martin a chance. In his first year in 1997, by the All-Star break, Martin had 50 points in 56 games, and that was catching people's attention. And he got named to the All-Star game in his very first year as a rookie. And immediately following that All-Star game, the Calgary Flames took a chance on Martin St. Louis. They signed him right right after that game and gave him a contract and sent him to their farm team down in St. John, New Brunswick in the American Hockey League, where I was. And I got to spend some time with Martin St. Louis during his time there. Martin actually made the Calgary Flames. He played for them in the 99-2000 year. But he was a small man in a big man's game. And so he'd get some shifts on the fourth line or the third line. He'd be a healthy scratch in and out of the lineup. He never really got a whole lot of playing time, not much of a chance. And then for some players, in his case, kind of the worst thing happened the GM got let go and a new GM came in. And the new GM, by the name of Craig Button, had no allegiance um, to Martin St. Louis. 
And so he left them unprotected. In 2000, there was an expansion draft. But in that expansion draft, neither Minnesota nor Columbus drafted Martin St. Louis. And so shortly right after that, Craig Button contacted Martin and said, you can't play in the NHL. We're buying out the rest of your contract. And that was it. Or was that it? Well, on July 31st of 2000, the Tampa Bay Lightning said, Martin St. Louis, we've got a two-year contract to sign you to. We're going to give you a chance. And he went into training camp. He made the main squad. And it started off kind of the same, third line, fourth line. And the story goes that Martin asked for a meeting with the coach. And he said to the coach, can you just play me? He goes, I can get you points, but I need the ice time. And so the coach gave him a chance. Well, I don't know if these trophy names mean much to you, but after several years of playing in the NHL, racking up almost an average of a point per game, Martin also won a Hart Trophy. He won two Art Ross trophies. He won the Lady Bing Trophy three times. He won a Stanley Cup, a gold medal with Team Canada in 2014. Played in several NHL All-Star games. And in 2018, Hockey Hall of Fame. The pinnacle for an NHL player. But now, I don't know if you know, how Martin is actually coach of the Montreal Canadiens. And it was during uh, a press conference in, uh, in 2020. Um, he was being bombarded with questions. You know, here comes Martin. Again, very little coaching experience. He's coming in to take over as an intern coach with the Montreal Canadiens, who had just been disastrous for a while. And fielding lots of questions from the press. The Montreal press are not easy people to deal with. And Martin said this quote, and I want to give you this quote this morning. If you only want the things that are easy in life, you don't grow as a human being. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you are a good God, a great God. We, um, we know there are people within our congregation uh, who are uh, battling illnesses of, of all varying degrees. We also have uh, family members and, and friends uh, who are struggling with things, Lord. And those weigh, uh, those weigh heavy on us. But this morning, Lord, we lift them up to you because you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ultimate physician. And we just lift those people up to you for healing, for comfort from your spirit, Lord. Lord, as we gather here this morning in person and online, may you, through your Holy Spirit, just help us to focus on you, God. What do you want us to learn from the story of Zacchaeus this morning? God, us, direct us, Lord. Help us to put off the distractions, the worries of this world as we dive into your word here this morning. God, and direct my words, Lord, I ask also. In your name, your holy name we pray. Amen.
So we're going to look at Zacchaeus this morning. Thank you, Linda, for reading that. And for anybody who's around my age, if I started to say, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? I'm not going to sing it. I got a bad voice as it is, uh, regardless of, uh, of a dry throat today. But yeah, I, you know, for those who grew up in the... Uh, in going to Sunday school, uh, that's a pretty familiar song of Zacchaeus. And so a lot of us know the story of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, if you'd like to turn with me to the book of Luke in chapter 19, the first 10 verses talk about Zacchaeus and this man's encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're doing a series on misfits. And Zacchaeus Zacchaeus was a misfit in his day and time in several, several different ways. Chapter 19, verse 2, we read, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Well, people who are tax collectors, whether it's 2,000 years ago or right today, Tax collectors are not very well-liked people by the masses, are they? Right? I'm not sure if I asked anybody here whether anybody would say, hey, yeah, I'm buddies with a tax collector. Right? You say, you know, it's tax season and everybody's heart rate, everybody's blood pressure goes up a little bit, right? It's not something we think favorably of. And back then, tax collectors were men, and those men were considered tra- traitors. What Rome did was is Rome recruited Jewish people to collect taxes from Jewish people. Rome was in charge. They were overbearing. They were taking control. And so those people who agreed to collect taxes on behalf of Rome from their fellow Jewish people, well, they were considered turncoats. They were considered traitors. A tax collector in that day, if you had opened up the dictionary to the word sinner, there'd be a picture of tax collector. Right underneath, probably the first description would be, would be sinner, tax collector. That's, that was the definition. The two words by some people were used as the same word, the same thing. And we're also told here that Zacchaeus was wealthy. So a wealthy tax collector. Well, how did tax collectors get wealthy? Well, it was a pretty common practice for the tax collectors to overtax the people. Ta- Rome, was, Rome didn't really care. As long as, you turn, as long as the tax collectors turned in the money that they were supposed to turn in, if they overtaxed the people, Rome turned a, a blind eye to it. They didn't really care. And so this is what tax collectors did. When they could, they would squeeze a little bit extra out of the different Jewish people, and they would pad their pocketbook with extra money. And therefore, Luke makes sure that he tells us that Zacchaeus was a tax collector and wealthy. So he wasn't even, you know, one of the average income people. Again, he was a wealthy man. Verse 3 also like, just emphasizes, um, sorry, verse 3? Yes. Verse 3 He wanted to see Jesus, but being a short man, he could not. So there's another misfit, right? 
He's being described as short. Now, research says that the average Jewish man back then was probably right around five foot five. Okay? And that seems short for, you know, our day and age. So if he's being described as short, he must have really been short. So I'm guessing that Zacchaeus was a man under five feet tall and very noticeable walking around. And we know that looking at the outward appearance is what we all do. We all easily judge people. We, we look quickly, right? We judge books by their cover all the time, right? And this is very, very prominent in the sports world. You hear people talking all, about, all the time about people's size, their weight, their height, how much muscle mass they have. They're very, very judgmental by the way they look. I mean, you think back to Israel's first king, Saul. How was Saul described? Well, was one of the first things that come to mind if you know about King Saul. What's one of the first things? We, Saul was handsome and tall, right? That's one of the first things. His, his heart doesn't come to mind first. We go, oh yeah, Saul. He was, he was shoulder and heads above everybody else, right? And so, if Zacchaeus was so short and yet wealthy by overtaxing, he must have been quite a smart and crafty, and some may even call him a devious man in order to overtax people and get that money because he wasn't, he wasn't threatening to beat them up by the sounds of things to physically intimidate them to get that tax money. Now, he was a tax collector. I mean, a lot of these tax collectors, like I've just described, this resulted in them being disowned by their families. A lot of their families said, you're a tax collector, you're a traitor, and had nothing to do with them. And to the next level, let's not forget the religious leaders that were so dominant in that, part of, in that day, and, day and time. They controlled the synagogues, they controlled the temple. And so tax collector, sinner, traitor, and... You have to remember how important attendance for Jewish people was in the synagogues or in the temple. It was very important. It was very, you know, very much consumed them day in and day out, what they were doing, whether they could stay clean and actually enter the temple or not. And tax collectors were considered sinners. They were considered unclean. They weren't welcome in the synagogues. They weren't welcome at the temple. They were not liked at all by the religious leaders. They were enemies to the Jewish religion, and they were shunned very much so. And so, tax collectors were friends with other tax collectors. But, and about what you say? Well, verse 3, if we continue reading. And so, he, um, he wanted to see Jesus, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. In all this, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see him. So much so that he ran ahead of this crowd and he climbed a tree 
because he, obviously he was short, right? And the road was lined with people. And so he had to get above to see them. Now, this wouldn't be typical of a rich person in that day and age to see him running, to see him climbing a tree. He would have servants. He would have servants do things for him. You would think he would have servants, you know, part the crowd so he could walk through and, um, and get, get to the, the roadside and see him. But this is not what happened. If I say Paul Harvey, I'm not sure if you would be familiar with Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey was famous for giving us the rest of the story. He would take a topic or a person and give us background information on that. This morning, let me, and I can't say that this is hard facts, but let me paint a bit of a picture, give you a bit of background on what is possibly some of the rest of the story for Zacchaeus that isn't in this story. Remember John the Baptist? Well, of course you do. In Luke 3, if you, you can turn back to Luke 3 or, or, or just follow me as, uh, as we go back in, the, back in the story a little bit. John was, pe- John was preaching a baptism of repentance. And there was lots of people coming to hear John and the news and the excitement built. He was telling people that they were s- sinful and they need to repent and what they had been doing was, was wrong. And the crowd asked, what should we do? And John said, if you have two shirts, take one and give it to somebody in need. If you have lots of food, take extra food and give it to somebody who's in need. This is what we read here. Verse 12 of chapter 3 says, tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? He said, don't collect any more than, are re- than you are required to, is what he told them. And so we have the knowledge here that when John was preaching repentance to people, it wasn't just the religious Jewish people, but tax collectors were also coming to him. Verse 15 The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He gave gave them the message that Messiah was coming. So whether Zacchaeus in this case here was one of those We're not sure. But he could have been one of those tax collectors and he heard that John's message and then he heard the Messiah is coming. Luke chapter 7. In verse 29. We read, And all the people even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was, the, was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in law rejected God's purpose for them because they had not been baptized by John. 
That's, that's some important information. That even if Zacchaeus himself wasn't one of these tax collectors, people that he knew were going to John the Baptist, they were going to Jesus to hear him. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It's entitled the parable of the lost sheep, but the, the first thing that we read here in this parable is now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. We know who some of the people in the crowd were. It wasn't just the religious people. It was also the turncoats. It was also the castaways. The tax collectors and sinners were also listening to Jesus. If you'd like to turn with me, I'm going to pop over to Matthew. And I'll get to the point of all this here in a second. Matthew 21, verse 31. Matthew 21, verse 31. So this is part of the parable of the two sons. And we, and we, re, we read Jesus' words saying, which of the two did what the father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For, God, for John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. This is what he was telling to the Pharisees. This is the type of stuff that was going on in the hearts of the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners of that day. And if Zacchaeus wasn't part of these personal experiences that we just highlighted and read, if he wasn't actually in any of those crowds, well, he would have heard the stories. The expression is thick as thieves, right? I mean, tax collectors, who are their friends? They were shunned by everybody else, so tax collectors were friends with tax collectors. And so stories would have gone because there was tax collectors that were changing their ways. They were, what did John tell them? Stop collecting extra money, right? These stories would have at least got to him. And so this short, ostracized, rich Jewish chief tax collector, well, he caught the eye of Jesus and he caught the heart of Jesus. Zacchaeus was way up in the tree. Thousands of people all lined the road. And we know from Luke 8.1 that Jesus was traveling from city to city on his way to Jerusalem. And so crowds were coming and, and going. And so here we have that, that visual. Thousands of people along the lines of the road. And this little man sitting up on a branch in a tree up above everything else. When's the last time you made a special effort to see Jesus? 
When's the last time you went out on a limb to experience Jesus? Zacchaeus, a sinner, he did that. I don't know if you remember, it would be a couple decades ago, there was a big slogan, no fear. And then they had little catchy sayings and they put them on t-shirts and posters and went, the one that I remember after all these years was one that said, if you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. We've got Zacchaeus out on this tree limb because he just wants to see Jesus. So Jesus has entered the city of Jericho. He's walking along. There's thousands of people all around. You know, we're not sure how in on him. Sometimes we're, you know, we read how the crowds were just all around him, surrounding him. Maybe he had a clear path down the road. We're not sure. It doesn't describe that exactly here. But Zacchaeus catches Jesus' eye. And what, does, um, and what does Jesus do? He says, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to your house. Now, verse 7 of chapter 19 in Luke. We read, all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. The New Living Translation says, the people were all displeased. The New King James says, all the people in the area, they complained that Jesus was going into the house of a sinner. They couldn't believe it, right? Because... What is Jesus, who everybody, you know, there were many people who thought he was a righteous man. They'd seen the things they'd done. They heard what he said. How could he go into the house of this traitor, this definition of a sinner? He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, which means he had been doing this for a lot of years, probably scammed his way to the top. And so... He was not well-liked at all, and people weren't happy about this. If you remember back into uh, 1 Samuel, when, uh, when Samuel was waiting, with, uh, um, waiting to, to anoint King David, and he was going through the different brothers, and he'd gone through all of David's other brothers, and God said this to him in verse 7, God tells Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so there must have been something going on in Zacchaeus' heart, and Jesus was attuned to that. And of all the potentially thousands of people, he saw the one heart that was attuned to him and ready to meet with him. And if you remember... Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, Levi. He was a tax collector before joining Jesus as a a disciple. And we read in Matthew 9, whether you want to turn there or not, in verse 12, 
We read, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the wealthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So maybe Zacchaeus had heard this too from Matthew. They were tax collectors. Good chance maybe they were friends. And this is exactly, again, what Jesus was doing here with this short, rich, ostracized man. And arguably, Jesus called not just the shortest man, but arguably called the biggest sinner out of that crowd of thousands to come to him to repent and to be saved from his sins. Luke 19, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a misfit in many ways in his day and time. Zacchaeus was a sinner. Someone to say, Zacchaeus' picture might have been in the, in the uh, dictionary, right there, under definition of sinner for some. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was forgiven. Zacchaeus was saved. And Zacchaeus now is a family member of God. In my introduction, I quoted Martin St. Louis. If you only want things that are easy, you don't grow as a human being. Some very wise words from a little man. Let me say this. Giving your life to Christ may be the hardest thing you have ever done or that you will ever do, depending on where you are in your relationship with God. And to those listening here this morning, if you have not yet asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to save you from your sins, may I challenge you to step out of the crowd, to go out on a limb and let Jesus into your house and into your heart today. Because not even the misfit, the sinner Zacchaeus had sinned too much, had sinned too greatly that he was beyond the love and the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to those of you listening this morning who have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you have given your life to him. May I challenge you, challenge myself, not to judge people by their looks, but to be willing to share the good news, the message of Jesus Christ to anybody, to everybody. Let me just read verse 10 again. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So we need to look above the crowd and love a neighbor who may be a misfit to us, but who is looking to meet Jesus. Thank you.